Woo! That is the way to start the morning right. I don't think I'm alone in this, but man, for me, there is just something that is that's so refreshing, uh, so rejuvenating, so life-giving. Uh, when we take just a little bit of time right at the top of the service to give Jesus the praise that he does so deserve. Uh, in fact, if you actually agree with me on that, why don't you drop a comment right now in, in the comments or maybe even throw a little bit of emoji right there in the chat. Like, I, I want to know that I'm not the only one feeling that way. Uh, for those of you who are new to this whole church, this whole Christianity thing, uh, I know the music in particular. This isn't lost on me. Uh, you know, kind of with people closing their eyes and then putting their hands in the air, that, that can seem a little bit bizarre, even maybe downright intimidating. But, but the reason that, again, there, there's such emotion in those moments for, for people like me is because Jesus has truly transformed my life. And it's during the, that, those moments where, where we worship him through song that, that he really gets the praise that he deserves. It's just this tangible way to just look to him and say, thank you for what you have done in my life. For, for just a couple of minutes each week, uh, we, we, we give God all of the attention rather than, than putting that on ourselves. And, and the great news is that if, if you're watching right now and and you're new to this whole thing, you're just kind of starting to explore that, that, that same God, the, the, the God who, who has transformed my life and, and so many others who are watching here today, he, he, he desperately wants you to take a step closer to him today. He, he wants to begin to form what could actually be called a relationship with you. And, and I am 100% confident that, it, that if you're just open to that today, you're willing to kind of set aside your pride, throw aside the distractions, and, and just give him the attention. He absolutely has something that he wants to say to you this morning. So before we go any farther, uh, I'd like to pray for everyone who's, who's watching right now. God, we just say thank you. Thank you that you are a God who is not distance, distant, but you are near. Thank you that you are a God who just cares so deeply for every single person uh, that's watching here today. And I just pray that, that prayer, God, that, that wherever we're at in this whole faith journey, um, that we'd take a step closer to you today, that we would throw aside distractions, that we'd just be open to whatever it is that you're trying to say to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as you've likely gathered today, we are continuing in a series that we actually started last week titled Campfire Stories. By the way, if, if you weren't here uh, last week for part one of this series, I, I invite you to go back and either listen or watch last week's message at grumlaw.com slash messages, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. But but what we're doing in this series is we're walking through some, certainly not all, but some of the stories that Jesus told during his time on earth. Uh, chances are that every single one of you watching right now, uh, you have at least a handful of memories, good memories, I might add, that take place around a campfire during these summer months in Michigan. Uh, when I think campfire, one of the first memories that jumps into my mind is uh, growing up, me and my two brothers, uh, and along with three other neighbor kids, we would regularly go into the woods across our street, and there was like a, uh, a BMX track that some other older kids had built, and we'd go back there, and we'd ride our bikes and go off these jumps, and after we got ourselves like pretty good and tired doing that, one of our common activities was uh, building fires. 
Because as it turns out, young boys love fire. In fact, that's actually not even unique to young males. It's just kind of unique to males. We just like love jacking around with fire. And so initially it just kind of started as like we'd build these little fires with twigs and leaves and pine needles. And then it kind of just started to evolve from there where we'd start grabbing things out of like the garage and bringing them with us. And one day we brought back all these cans of spray paint. Because we had heard that if, if you sprayed spray paint into a fire, you could kind of have like this, this makeshift torch. By the way, if you're watching this right now and you're like under the age of 20, please don't do this. As you will soon hear, this was a very, very terrible idea. And, and so this was kind of like our new thing. We'd go right on the BMX track and then we'd build a fire and then we'd have like our torches. And, and one day my buddy Joey... He is spraying his spray paint can into the fire, like making his torch. And the flame started creeping closer and closer to the nozzle to the point where it kind of scared him. And he chucked the spray paint can to the side. And no sooner did that can leave his hand than it exploded. And all of a sudden, Joey found himself like engulfed in this flame. Fortunately, he was pretty much okay, uh, less his eyebrows and a bunch of hair on the top of his head. And all of a sudden, we're looking at each other going, yeah, that's... That's maybe why mom and dad told us not to jack around with fire. We, we ought to not do that anymore. Uh, Jesus, and, and this might surprise some of you, uh, he was a really great storyteller. In, in fact, he actually made up a bunch of stories during his time on earth. Uh, we last week talked about this. We would traditionally refer to these stories as parables. Uh, a parable is actually a simple made-up story, completely fabricated, told to make a clear, honest point. So while the story itself was made up, the point he was making was very, very real. And it typically would expose a truth that was hard for the audience to accept. And what I find so interesting about these stories is, is those truths that they would expose are just as true today and just as relevant today as they were thousands of years ago when Jesus was initially telling these stories. Jesus would tell these stories to get people to think about topics from a new angle, to, to see issues in a new light, subjects and topics that people, if you just kind of came out and bluntly delivered the information, it, it would immediately cause these walls to go up. And, and Jesus, he's a smart guy, he knew this. And, and so he would tell these stories to grab the audience's attention. It, it would kind of cause the, the entire audience to lean in. And it was only after they listened to about 90% of the story that they suddenly figured out, oh my goodness, that's what he's talking about. That's what this story is actually about. But by that point, their wheels were already turning. It was too late for those walls, for those barriers to go up. The truth was now staring at you right in the eye. I actually used to employ this tactic all the time when I was working more in, uh, in student ministry, uh, my dad started a church down in Heartland, Michigan called Venture. And I used to be really involved with their high school ministry in particular. And I've actually shared a little bit about this before in, in the past. As I would get to know these high school guys and really try to invest in their lives, and as we really began to form a relationship, that there was one question that's sad but true, and this will scare you if you're a parent of a high school boy or a high school girl, uh, but probably the most common question that I would get from these high school guys was, how far can I go with a girl? which if you don't know what that means, they're saying, how far can I go sexually with a girl and it not like be considered a sin? Like, like what's kind of the limit there? Now, obviously in that moment, I, I could very bluntly deliver the information. I could even show them some scripture to support what I'm saying, but that's not really what they were asking. They weren't really even asking, hey, what does the Bible say? They're going, Shay, hey, we respect you. You seem to be following Jesus. What do you think about this? And, and rather than bluntly delivering that information, every single time I would do the exact same thing. I would say, hey, I want you to close your eyes right now. And they kind of look at me like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, close your eyes. And they're like, okay. 
And I'd say, do you want to get married at some point? And with their eyes closed, they'd go, yeah. And I'd say, okay, so, so that means that, that somewhere out in the world right now, your wife is out there somewhere, right? They're sitting there with their eyes closed, yeah. Okay, you don't know who she is necessarily, but she's out there in the world. I, I want you to picture her right now. I, I want you to picture her hair color, the color of her eyes, the things that she's interested in. What are her hobbies? What does she like to do? Like try to picture all this. And so they'd be sitting there with their eyes closed and they'd start getting these stupid grins on their faces. And I say, okay, so right now you, you got your wife pictured, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I got her pictured. I'm like, right now she is in the backseat of a car. And they're like, oh, okay. I said, but there's, there's one other person in the vehicle with her. It's, it's actually her high school boyfriend. He's, he's sitting back there with her right now. You kind of see that smile go to like, I don't like that. Now, now they don't know that they're not going to get married to each other. They're just kind of dating right now, just having fun together. And, and right now, he's starting to kiss her a little bit. They're going, okay, really don't like that? That's, that's my wife. And I'm like, now they're like making out. They're like, okay, I really don't like that. Now he's kind of moving his hands around, okay, and then I would say, okay, and I'd ask him this question, I'd say, how much farther right now do you want your future wife to go with her high school boyfriend? And every single time, the response was the exact same. Their eyes would shoot open, and they go, no farther. I want it to stop right now, in fact. I want it to be done. And I'm like, well, that is how far you should go with the girl that you are considering fooling around with. It was extremely effective. And this was precisely the strategy behind these made-up stories that Jesus would tell. Whether we've really put it together or not, we all learn better when there is a memorable story or an illustration that is attached to the principle or the lesson. So, without further ado, we are going to jump today into part two of this series, Campfire Stories, and we're going to be taking a look at the story of the new cloth. <laughs> I know, it sounds... Ooh, it sounds invigorating. I promise it is a much better story than the title uh, might assume. Th this story is actually recorded for us in a number of the different uh, gospel accounts. For those of you that aren't familiar with that term gospel, it's a synonymous term for good news. Uh, that's in reference to the first four books of the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. Those first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books are the biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. We, we call them good news because they record for us the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We think it's good news that somebody wrote that down for us. So we're going to be looking at this story today as told in the book of Mark. Now Mark, this, this book we're going to be looking at today where this story is recorded for us, it was actually written by a guy who went by the name of John Mark. Now John Mark, and this is really important, he got all of his information from a guy who went by the name of Peter. Now, the reason that's important is Peter was one of the 12 guys who spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus during his time on earth, traditionally referred to as the disciples. But Peter was one of these guys that like, he witnessed all this stuff firsthand. And so this is a pretty good source for Mark to be get, capturing all of this information about the life of Jesus. And as it turns out, Peter began modeling what Jesus had done with him in the life of Mark. Jesus' ministry strategy was actually really simple. He found these 12 guys, and he's like, just follow me. Just, just watch how I live my life, and, and then model that. Peter apparently took this pretty seriously, because all of a sudden, there's this John Mark guy who's following him around, and, and Peter's saying, hey, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And at a certain point, that there must have been a moment where, where Mark started to kind of wonder to himself, hey, Peter, like, you haven't, you haven't written any of this stuff down? Like, I mean... This Jesus guy seems pretty incredible. It seems like maybe you should be writing this stuff down. I, you're, you're not, okay, I'm, I'm gonna start writing it down. That, that seems okay, and voila, here we have the book of Mark. Now, a little context here for this parable. 
as it usually went, Jesus didn't just start telling these stories out of nowhere. He, he usually started telling these stories in almost every case in response to a very direct question that was posed to him. In, in this particular que- case, the, the question that was posed to Jesus is, Jesus, how come you and your buddies, these 12 disciples, these guys you spent all this time with, how come you and your buddies aren't following the rules? E- even though you're Jewish, you, you don't seem to place the same emphasis and value on following the rules like the other Jewish people that that are living in our community. They they, they were specifically referencing the 613 laws contained within the Jewish scriptures. And and much to their surprise, uh, these people living in this largely Jewish culture, Jesus' closest friends, and Jesus also, I might add, they, they, they seemed in a lot of cases to kind of blatantly disregard a lot of these rules. So Jesus, he's so smart, knowing that if he just flat out answered them, they'd probably put up a wall and completely disregard everything he said. He instead decides to tell them a story. And that's what we're going to be looking at here, the story of the new cloth. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. So remember the question, how, how come you and your buddies aren't following the rules? And so Jesus says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. They're like, what the heck does this have to do with anything? He continues. He says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And apparently, that's it. At least that's how all the gospel writers record it for us. It seems like he just like says these words and then he walks away, stares them down, and I guess everybody got their question answered. And so following in the footsteps of Jesus, that is all from me as well today. You all have a wonderful Sunday. No. Uh, First, a little context as to what Jesus was practically speaking about. Chances are, most of you watching this morning, you're not expert winemakers, you're not, you're not seamstresses. Uh, you, uh, like me, if, if something rips, if I get a big hole in one of my articles of clothing, I just throw it away. And if, if my wife wants a bottle of wine, I drive my rear end to Aldi and I pick up a bottle of Wink and Owl for about $2.50. But, but back when Jesus was roaming the earth, if your clothes got a hole in them, you, you patched them up. And Jesus points something out that would have been exceedingly obvious to everybody who would have been listening in that audience. You don't put a new piece of cloth on an old garment. Just like clothes in present day, oftentimes after you wash a new article of clothing, what happens? Right? It shrinks. And after shrinking, if you were to put a new unshrunk patch over a rip or a hole that had shrunk, then you wash it, the patch itself is going to shrink as well and in turn rip away, making the hole even bigger than it was before. And then Jesus continues and he tells this second part about wineskins, which is really illustrating the exact same point that he's telling with the new cloth. But see, back in Jesus' day, wine wasn't stored in glass bottles, but it was actually stored in goat skins or wineskins as they were frequently called. That's kind of what a wineskin would have looked like. It's like, ugh, gross. I wouldn't want to consume anything that was stored in one of those bags. Uh, As a bit of a side note here, you better believe, though, if if Whole Foods started putting wine in these nasty-looking bags all over again, you hipster millennials, you would gobble this stuff up. I mean, they'd feed you some line about how it was better for you. be like, okay, yeah, great. This sounds awesome. I'm going to start drinking. I mean, you did, after all, start drinking water that was in a box, so... 
all things are kind of on the table at this point. Anyway, new wine, as it ferments, it expands and, and it stretches. It would stretch these, these wine skins. And so if you put new wine into an old dried out wine skin, it, it would burst if more wine was suddenly added. Everybody knows that you put new wine into new wine skins. I mean, we're all a bunch of rookies here. Now, I, I know what perhaps maybe some of you are thinking at this point. What in the heck does this have to do with anything? I mean, more importantly, what does this have to do with the original question that was posed to Jesus? Remember this question, why aren't you following the rules? I mean, Jesus, get it together. Why aren't you following the rules that all the other Jewish people seem to follow so closely? Now, now some of you, that, that right there, that little tidbit alone, that kind of surprises you because your perception of Jesus is actually that he's like the ultimate rule follower. And if you follow Jesus, you better be following the rules like Jesus follows the rules. It's not the case, by the way, but I certainly could understand how you've came to that conclusion. You want to know actually where you picked that up from? Religion. And this might surprise you as well. You know who is actually anti-religion? Jesus. In fact, he couldn't stand it. If you read those biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, the, the, the religious people were the only people that Jesus would consistently lose it on during his time on earth. But because as it turns out, Jesus came to earth for a much different reason. And it might surprise you, he did not come to earth to start a new religion. Jesus actually came to this earth for a far different reason. It's actually another word that starts with an R. Anybody want to take any stabs at it? Relationship. He, he came to earth because, wouldn't you know it, religion was not working. See, every single religion on the face of the earth tells the exact same story. Follow these rules and you'll be good with God. Follow these rules and you'll be good with God. Now, now the rules might look different from one religion to the next. Shoot, even the God might look different from one religion to the next. But the messages are all the same. You follow these rules and maybe you'll be good with God. To follow these rules is outlined in some special book and maybe you'll get yourself in a right standing with the higher power that we're propagating. Now, now again, some of you, and I want to meet some of your more skeptical thoughts head on here this morning. You are perhaps thinking, Shay, isn't that exactly what we're doing around here? <laughs> I mean, broad 5,000-foot view, it, didn't you just kind of perfectly describe what Christianity is? And, and the answer, in short, is no. It, it, at least not the new, the relationship that Jesus was bringing to earth. But, but what's happened, and we've all seen evidence of this, is, is that old habits and old traditions, they die hard. And, and over time, a lot of the old religious stuff that we should have let go a long time ago has now gotten mixed in with the new that Jesus brought into this world. And, and, and as a result, a lot of you who are watching right now, you have a really sour taste in your mouth concerning Jesus, following Jesus, Christianity, because you have gathered, and I might add rightfully so, that Christianity is just another option in a sea of religions. 
And I get it. And to every single one of you who've tuned in this morning, who've taken the time to watch this morning, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he told this seemingly off-the-wall story about patching clothes and, and old wineskins. Because the people of Jesus' day, they had gotten real attached to their rules and traditions. Sounds familiar, right? It, it had become an obsession in the Jewish culture to be the best rule follower on the planet. Whoever followed the 613 rules the best was best with God. But guess what? It was not working. Because the Jewish people had figured out what every single one of you watching right now has already figured out, that try as hard as you might, no matter how much effort you put forward, no matter how much willpower, you just can't seem to do it. You just can't seem to get your act together. No, no matter how hard you try to follow all the rules, you just keep on breaking them. It is impossible to follow all the rules all the time. I mean, shoot, every single one of you watching right now, you can't even follow your own rules. Parents, be honest with yourself. You don't even follow all the rules that you make your kids follow. Boyfriends, you don't follow all the rules that you get your girlfriend to follow. Wives, you don't follow all the rules that you ask your husband to follow. This is kind of like a therapeutic moment. We are all serial rule breakers. Rule following is not working. And so as a result, religion is not working. It wasn't working 2,000 years ago when Jesus was roaming the earth, and it still ain't working today. In fact, as likely every single one of you have experienced, it makes things worse. When you're so focused on religion, on rule following, it breeds hypocrisy. It creates entitlement. It, it gives birth to this nasty aroma of judgment. And, and again, a lot of you watching right now, you're thinking, well, <laughs> that pretty much describes every church experience that I have ever had. And Jesus would tell us that this is exactly what I was talking about when I told my little story about wineskins and patching clothes. The, the arrival of Jesus marked the end of religion, the end, as in the end, as in we're done, and the beginning of something entirely new. And, and that new that Jesus was bringing into the world is relationship. Jesus said we're done with the rule keeping and we're done with all the terrible byproducts that follow. Hypocrisy and greed and judgment and arrogance. See, see religion again, it says follow these rules and you'll be good with God. <laughs> and along comes Jesus. And he flips this entire paradigm upside down. He says, and please don't miss this, I'm going to do something for you without requiring anything from you. We're talking something entirely new. Jesus said, this is about relationship. 
and with relationship. Jesus made us right with God, and now he invites us. He invites you to follow. He doesn't command. He doesn't hold like some ultimatum over our heads. No, no, no. He invites you to follow. You're already good because of what he did on a cross for you. The means by which you get that right standing back with God has nothing, nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you. (laughs) And again, the beauty of this, he did this for you without requiring anything from you. There's a verse that we find in in the letter to the early Christian church in Rome uh, titled Romans that that we bring up an awful lot around here. And even though it was written thousands of years ago to the early Christian church in Rome, it might as well have been written to 21st century American followers of Jesus today. Paul says this, he says, but God showed, he didn't talk about it, he showed, he demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Read this next part with me while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Not once we started following the rules. Not once we got our act together. Nope, while we were still sinners. Serial rule breakers. In other words, with Jesus, the relationship precedes the rules. Whereas every other religion on the face of the earth propagates this, the rules precede the relationship. I I don't want this to get lost in this message. Does Jesus ask that we live our lives in a certain way? You bet. Are there, to a certain extent, if you want to look at it this way, rules that come along with following Jesus? Absolutely. But, but the, over, the, the, the importance of the order of this cannot be overstated. The relationship, the relationship exists first. I and so many others willingly, as a follower of Jesus, follow his recommendations. Sure, if you want to call them rules, more power to you. Because I know, I know that he has my best interest in mind. And the reason that I know that is because he died for me. Let me give you just a, a very non-religious, practical example of this. You, you, you want to know why I don't cheat on my wife? Some of you are thinking to yourself, I, oh, I got that one. Because in the Bible, I saw this one time, in the Bible, there's a rule about that. It's something like, thou shall not commit sex with people that you're not married to. Something That's it, right? Or what's the word? Adultery. Adultery. The Bible says a lot of things about that word adultery. Something along those lines. Yeah. That's not really it. I mean, that's in there. There is stuff about adultery in this book that we call the Bible. But that is not the reason that I don't cheat on my wife. You ready for this? Maybe pull out a pen write this down. I don't cheat on my wife because I have a relationship with my wife. We have a relationship that is characterized by love. I love her, and as a result, I want what is best for her. So so even if there wasn't a single verse in the B-I-B-L-E about adultery, I implicitly know that that would not be what is best for my wife. 
that that would not be loving her well, that that would damage our relationship, so therefore I am against it. Here's another one. You want to know why my wife and I give away a percentage of our income back to the local church? So we get, oh, I, I got it, I know. Because in the Bible, it talks about stuff, about offerings, and there's another word, it's, it's bigger words, uh, tithing. Tithing, tithing, something along those lines. Tithing. Also, you're a pastor, so double jeopardy. No. The, the, the reason that my wife and I give, the reason that a percentage of our income goes right back to the local church, it has nothing to do with a rule in the Bible. No, it has everything to do, has everything to do with the fact that as a human being, and, and even more as, as an American human being, I and every single one of you watching right now, we all have a propensity towards greed and hoarding more for ourselves and accumulating more things for the benefit of yours truly. And my savior, the God of the universe who died for me on a cross so that I would not have to endure the wrath of my sin, my savior tells me that one of the most practical ways that I can guard against greed and being owned by the things that I own which so many people watching right now, you are owned by the things that you own. He says the way that we guard against that is by giving a percentage of our income away. That when we get paid, by symbolic, we say the very first thing that we are going to do is I'm gonna give a percentage away because I don't wanna be owned by the things that I own. I don't want my life to be marked by greed. He tells me that that will be best for me. And I believe him. In fact, and perhaps you'll think I'm like some like naive, like gullible little boy. I, I believe everything he says. He, he has proved himself to be trustworthy. He did that when he died for me without requiring anything from me. Jesus proved himself trustworthy to you. And now he asks you to trust him in return. It's not a blind trust. He's already proved his trustworthiness. Y'all, this is the complete opposite of religion. This right here is why I follow. And it's why I think you ought to follow. Jesus said, we're done with rules. We, we are done with religion. It is not working. We are on to something better. We are moving on to something entirely new. We are moving on to relationship. Because in relationship, we do not lead with fear. A relationship is characterized and it leads with love. Every earthly relationship Every healthy earthly relationship that we have, it's built on this. Somebody proved themselves to be trustworthy to you and now you trust them in return and it's no different with Jesus. We listen and we in turn follow because there is this outpouring of gratitude in response to what he has already done for us. It's not this like begrudging rule following. It's a willingness that comes along with knowing that he absolutely has our best interest in mind even when we don't see it that way because he has proved himself to be trustworthy. 
And as a result, I will choose to trust him in return. Jesus told this story because he was ushering something in entirely new. And he was smart enough to know that if we start mixing in the old, the religious stuff that we should have left behind a long time ago, and we start mixing that in with the new, the relationship that he brought about, we wouldn't be left with mostly new and just a little bit of old. No, no, no. We'd eventually be left with like 99% old and 1% new. We'd miss out on the best part. We'd lose the relationship which is exactly what so many of you watching right now have experienced in churches. That's why many of you, at a certain point in your life, you decided to walk away from the local church. That's why you gave up on this whole thing called Christianity. And Jesus hates it. Jesus hates religion and what it creates. See, see Christianity begins where every other religion hopes to eventually take you. From day one, moment one of putting your faith in Jesus, you get that right standing back. What religion and rule following is promising or hoping to eventually get you to. Jesus, who did something for you without requiring anything from you. Jesus, who said we're done with the old. We are done with religion. It is a complete departure and we are on to something entirely new. Jesus, who only after proving himself trustworthy, now asks you to trust him in return.